2: Hey everybody, this is Brian Scott from Union Underground. and You are listening to My Weekly Mixtape with Brian Colburn. Let's get it on.
0: Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Tonight, I'm thankful to be joined by Brian Scott, lead vocalist for Union Underground. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on my weekly mixtape, man.
2: Brian, great to be with you, man. Thank you.
0: Well, I'd like to start by asking you the same question I ask all of my first-time guests, and that is, what does the word mixtape mean to you?
2: Uh, I actually, you know, so the word mixtape, I actually have a, a very painful childhood experience. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> with the word mixtape. So this is probably uh, seventh grade, okay? I remember on Fridays, you could always send flowers or some kind of card or something to like a someone you're interested in, right? you know, like kind of a secret admirer Friday thing, right? So I remember being interested in this one girl, of course, that did not notice me as the world works, right? And I, the entire week prior to Friday, I put this mixtape together. And back then, of course, you know, I had, you had the old jam box with the two cassette recorders, yes, right? Sir. And so you you would just record one song to the next thing, and then put in another tape, record it, blah blah blah. It took all week to put it together. I gave it to her on Friday. Zero response. <laughs> ah. Right. So that's my experience with mixtape right? That was my first experience with like putting a mixtape together. And um, it was not good, Brian. It it pains me (laughs) to this day to think about it. So thanks for bringing it up,
0: Oh my God, it took 50-something episodes and finally a negative story with mixtapes. I am so sorry, but look, yeah. <laughs> we have all been there, man. I know I have made mixtapes for people that have fallen on deaf ears, so I am with you on that 100%, man. Childhood pain.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I put my heart and soul into that mixtape, and uh, yeah, zero. Zero. Well, you were able to channel that frustration
0: into some amazing music. So let's get into that, shall we? That's
2: probably where it started.
0: <laughs> well, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. And I'm not talking about okay. an education rebellion because we're going to get to that. But I'm talking about the self-produced Union Underground album, which contained the first yeah. mixes of a lot of songs that you eventually hear on Rebellion. You were a producer at this point, working with a lot of bands from in and around the Texas area. Did working with various artists and different bands who all had their own different sounds help you decide on the direction that Union Underground was going to go when you were first writing these
2: tunes? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, any you know anyone you work with or produce with or write with always has even if it's a project that's not even in the genre at all, can influence your own work, of course, you know? So yeah, there was always, there were always moments working with other artists where I thought, man, that idea that I just gave this guy would be fantastic for this blah, blah, blah song I'm working on with you. So yeah, it happens all the time, for sure.
0: Now, before the band was signed to Columbia Records Imprint, Portrait Records, you guys achieved some great success on your own, which speaks volumes to the music itself. How did the showcasing and label conversations unfold before you finally inked that deal with Portrait?
2: Well, you know, it was a long process. Sometimes to the outside, it seems like, wow, you know, this happened really fast for this band. It really takes a lot longer than it seems i mean we did so many showcases so many meetings flying back and forth to like you know do uh showcases in california we did several showcases in texas you know before it ever gets to a level that they're even considering it so it just i think we broke them down (laughs) (laughs) they finally just like oh you know, we can't get rid of these guys so you know let's do this
0: Well, let's move on to the album you're celebrating this year as part of the Back to the 2000s tour with Soil, Raw, Mm -hmm. and Flaw, and Education in Rebellion, which contained remixes of a bulk of the songs that you released on the self-titled indie album, The Union Underground, along with some new material that would go on to become, as far as I'm concerned, new metal classics in the form of South Texas Death Ride, Revolution Man, and Turn Me On, Mr. Dead Man. The album is approaching the quarter century mark this year. And if you consider the original Uh 97 album that the songs came from, it's past that benchmark already. Yet, these songs still sound modern and fresh in today's hard rock and metal climate. What was the secret to Rebellion's longevity?
2: Well, thank you for that, first of all. And uh, I, I mean, there's never a formula. I think sometimes just things align properly at the right time. You know, some of the songs from the self-release one did end up on Rebellion. But then, you know, songs like South Texas Death Ride, Dead Man, actually, and Revolution Man were some of the really kind of, I would call thrown together almost at the end before the release date was approaching. So sometimes just those, the ones that you don't focus on too much end up being the best ones, you know, and, uh, I think, you know, there were a couple of songs on that self-released record that I, I kind of wish would have been on Rebellion, but, you know, we kind of have to pick and choose. So I'm I'm extremely happy with the record and I I think it's fantastic. I mean, I'll put it on now myself, which most people don't do. I mean, you know, and I just think it's great. I, I love that record. I'm a big fan of it myself.
0: Same here. And I want to touch on something you had talked about because... There were actually, I want to say five songs that didn't make the jump. That would be Breathe Without, Bleeding Mary, Wrong Again and Apathetic Me. Was that based on mm-hmm. your or the band's input or was Portrait involved in deciding what songs made the jump to the major
2: label album? Uh not you know, they had an input, but it was ultimately our decision. And me being a producer on the record gives that a lot of weight to where you can kind of make those decisions but i think there were a lot of songs we liked from the self-released record that we just didn't feel fit the tone especially once we started putting them in order like just mocking up the order of the record which is you know no longer important these days of course right but we wanted the record when you put it on to have a certain flow and we just thought those were the 10 songs that did it.
0: Well, here's where my music nerd curiosity comes into play, just from somebody who reads the liner notes and studies the album art as I listened for many, many um, decades. I'm the
2: same way. Yeah.
0: yeah. On the original Union Underground CD, track three was called Supersonic, which anyone mm-hmm. who owns Rebellion would mm-hmm. know the song as Trip With Jesus. I've always been curious if there was right. a reason behind renaming the song.
2: Why well, really, I don't remember having like any intention behind that. I just thought, uh why not just call it what the lyric says, right? So, and maybe at the time I thought supersonic was just a little pretentious. Uh, I don't know. Or just, you know, Trip of Jesus obviously refers to the lyric. So it was an easy choice, but that's a good catch. No one, very few people have ever brought that up to me. Because obviously, there's not a lot of people that have heard the self-released record, except the devoted music nerds.
0: And college radio (laughs) at the time. And it was definitely something I saw at 90.3 WMSC when I was at Montclair State University Radio. Now, for those of us who weren't in radio or the San Antonio, Texas area, And weren't lucky enough to score that original self-titled CD. Is there any chance that the songs that didn't make the jump could be maybe re-released down the road at any point? Maybe a deluxe edition or just something so that people could kind of experience these songs that happened prior to Rebellion?
2: I've always considered that Breathe in particular is a song that I've always wanted to see come to light, you know, in the proper version. Right, there's an acoustic version that no one's heard that is fantastic. That you know, um, that song, you know, if you're familiar with it, would if you think about it, would lends itself to that. And there's a, a really cool version that I have had recorded for years that probably will make it to a release at some point, and maybe even the the original version. It's hard to when a track has been around for that long to not want to reinvent it, you know, reimagine it. But sometimes things just shouldn't be toyed with. And I think the original version of that song is great. That was another one too that we thought, you know, I I loved the kind of Alice and Chains Soundgarden gardeny thing it had going on. And it just didn't gel with rebellion, we thought. So I would love to see that song reared Ted at some point.
0: Well back to some rebellion talk here. We talked about these songs earlier, Revolution Man and Turn Me On, Mr. Dead Man. I'm gonna go into some radio ease here, but if you're a fan of the Beatles, you probably know the story about playing Revolution Nine backwards and hearing Turn Me On, Dead Man. And I remember this being a hot topic debate between myself and a few fellow radio colleagues when this album first dropped. I've always wondered, is there any merit to the songs being almost a hat tip to the Fab Four?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Always been a huge Beatles fan, which again, in Revolution Man, uh, there's clearly Beatles references, John Lennon references. So I was a bit obsessed with it at the time. And uh, I just loved the story of that. So I was intrigued by it. And I loved the title. And of course, I just added mister to it i mean that was the only embellishment i made to the idea as far as the title right but it's absolutely a hat tip for sure
0: well on your first tour for an education in rebellion the lineup featured opening act lincoln park on their first ever tour and you would later tour with them again during the ozfest 2001 lineup with the world sadly losing Chester, I would love to hear what your experiences were with him as well as the rest of the band during a time when both bands were making their respective debuts on the new metal scene at the time.
2: Yeah, that was, a, you know, we lost uh, a great one with Chester, as you know, as everyone feels. And uh, what's funny is to hear you say opening bands, Linkin Park. Because when was the last time you heard that? I mean, you know, very shortly after that run, they, they never opened for anyone ever again. And rightfully so. Right. It was a fantastic first record and we talked about it a lot on the road and they were playing versions of those songs that were very different than what ended up being on the record. But it still had, you know, the main portions, the main hooks of the songs, the choruses. But, uh, it was cool to watch that develop with them, you know, once the record actually came out and Chester and I specifically talked about that a lot, like the changing versions of it and how he kind of wanted it to be a little more raw and, you know, the, the they thought the studio was maybe messing with the process a bit much, but I mean, you know, he's kind of an old school rock guy, you know? So, which made their combination fantastic with, between him and Mike. Those guys on the road, you know, I would always hear them from the dressing room when they were opening for us, right? Which is just even funny to see. But I would hear them from the dressing room even way before the songs were really honed. They were playing pretty primitive versions of some of those songs and you could just feel it. I knew it. Just, you know, sometimes you just feel that. You don't have to try and find it. You just hear it and you know it. You know, and like, man, this band's going to be huge. And then once Chester played me a demo version of In the End, I'm like, man, it's over. You guys are going to be so huge within 12 months. Yeah. Kudos to those guys. And, you know, I miss hearing his voice. It would be fantastic to hear new Linkin Park songs with Chester, you know. And I hope those guys, you know, I have no idea what their plans are currently. You know, I haven't followed what any intentions are with even going forward. I don't know. Mike has a lot of stuff he does on his own. So it would be great to see some new music from them. Whoever's involved, you know.
0: Now, as I mentioned in that last question in 2001, union underground appeared on the 2001 lineup of Ozfest. within a lineup that when you say it now, just sounds like a dream lineup in hindsight, drowning pool, non-point tap root, mud vein, Black Label Society, Disturbed, yeah. Lincoln Park, Papa Roach, Slipknot, Marilyn Manson, and the gods of metal, Black Sabbath. The show I was at was actually the infamous PNC Bank Arts Center show in Homedale, New Jersey, August 11th, 2001, when Jacoby Shaddix from Papa Roach invited fellow lawn seat dwellers to throw mud at the stage turning OzFest into a mud-tossing riot. (laughs) Now, I've heard both good and bad stories about OzFest from both the business side of things and the musical side of the equation, and I would love to know what Union Underground's experiences were on that tour and the impact it had on the band as a whole.
2: I mean, well, it had a huge impact on our exposure, of course, And, and we had just come off of a tour with Marilyn Manson, Guns God in government, and so it was kind of a perfect transition for us because he was on that run as well, and you know, so we kind of had that association straight off that tour, and um, it kind of made sense for us to do that. And you know, like you said, yeah, some of the horror stories on the business side of it is, I mean, you clearly, at least in our situation at the time, and most most bands, especially on the second stage, and even some of the bands on the first stage, didn't get paid a dime you actually paid you paid to be on Ozfest, wow. so yeah hats off to uh sharon if you want to give kudos to that but i understand the trade-off of exposure in lieu of payment i mean i get that but you know record labels paid a lot of money to have their bands on Ozfest. it's crazy but it was absolutely worth it in the end of course i mean uh Some of our biggest fans were solidified on that run to this day. I mean, they mention it constantly.
0: Which is what I'm about to do now, because going back 23 years when I saw you on the second stage of that show, one of my vivid memories of it is something that unfortunately we'll never be able to see again. Because the late Dave Williams from Drowning Pool joins you guys on stage for what I consider to be a pretty unique collaboration.
2: That's fantastic that you saw that show. Now, what city was that in again? Homedale, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. We did Cowboys from Hell from Pantera.
0: Yes, sir. And Dave came out with the Texas flag draped over his shoulders. And you guys just slayed it. My buddies and I knew we were seeing something special when that moment happened.
2: Dude, thank you. Yeah. And we knew it. It felt that way to us as well. You know we just kind of had the idea early in the day. And then, so me and Dave are are in, I think it was on their bus. And we're just like, we're reading the lyrics from the CD going, wait, you take this line. I'll take this line. You take that line. And then we'll come together on these words and then we'll do this. You know, it was, it was literally like 30 minutes before we went on stage. We were just working this shit out. Right. Really? Yeah. It was super fun. But of course we're all huge Pantera fans. So we, those things are, the lyrics are instilled in us. So we just like, you know, two lines, two lines, two lines, two lines. We'll do the chorus together. Two lines, two lines, done. You know? And we had a blast doing that. I have fantastic video footage from that. Yeah. Oh. I yeah. mean,
0: I'm just going to yeah. throw this out in the universe. Celebrating. Dime, Vinny, Dave. That footage needs to see the light of day, man.
2: It does. Yeah. You know, I should dig it up because, uh, I mean, I have a, you know, back in the day, of course, we're doing like the, um, the mini DV mm-hmm. thing. So I have just mountains of them. And that full song is in there from a couple of different angles, you know, because there were several people filming from our crew. So, uh, yeah, that might have to come out of the vault at some point because, uh, you know, as you just said, uh, what it represents is pretty historic in many ways. All three of those guys, I mean, you know, it's insane. By the way, so you were at Auschwitz, you you look so young. Brian, by the way, uh, 46 for you. Okay. So yeah, we're not, we're not that far off. So I, okay. So you were, you were a young lad cruising around Ozfest. Okay.
0: Yep. Well, I'll never forget the day for a myriad of reasons. Obviously the bands, the music and all that great stuff, but, from a, a little bit of a darker perspective it was august of 2001 so that was the last concert experience i had prior to 9 11 when at that point in time the concert experiences were kind of forever
2: changed it is really kind of thought of as the you know that's the one 2001 was just the, the lineup was so ins- i mean you 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 know you mentioned them all earlier. And it's amazing. The lineup's amazing. And everyone, there's so many bands, Lincoln Park Disturbed, everyone was just getting their thing going, you know? And so it was a cool time to see everyone launching. Mudvayne was still very new. You know, Union, it, it was just, it was fantastic to see everyone launching their thing and all doing it together. It was killer. Yeah, we knew
0: we were witnessing history on many levels that day when we were watching bands. And, you know, we forever said, like, this is a group we're going to be seeing for years to come. And I'm so glad to be able to be sitting here talking to you about this 23 years later. So, yeah. Now, as someone who's also always been a fan of wrestling, there was no way we're talking Union Underground without talking about Across the Nation, which served as the theme for WWE's Raw from 2002 to 2006, how did this partnership come together?
2: It was really just a label thing. The compilation that has, once again, a lot, of, a lot of the guys that were on Ausfest are on that as well. Like Drowning Pole, I think Manson's on it. Disturbed has a song on that compilation as well. Mm-hmm. It was just, uh, I believe it was a Sony music release. And then, you know, we just got lucky enough to be involved in it through that connection. And uh, John Johnston, I believe he's still with them. I don't know. He was their big music director over there. And he, uh, he was a fan of ours and he pitched it to Columbia for us to be on there. So it was a cool process because so these theme songs, like how you know, first it was like, I don't know if I'm gonna use someone else's music to build our thing, but all he did was send me a bass track that just went boom bam, boom boom bum boom bad you know, whatever the theme song, little melody piece or the wrestler that we are is rep- each band represented a, a particular wrestler, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know what? If that's all you're gonna give me, that's fantastic. I can just build a song around it and you know it becomes one of our own things so that a union fan doesn't think we're like doing a cover song. Right. So, cause I had heard, I had, I had talked to the Papa Roach camp or uh, not Papa Roach, but Drowning pool and Sturb camps about like, what, how are we going to approach this? You know, like, what are you guys doing? I'm not sure how to approach it. So we all kind of, we're uh, connecting with each other to kind of figure out how to do it. And it had, it still sound like one of our songs respectively. Right. So uh, the process was fun. I would just kind of put a verse together and send it over to those guys. I'm like, hey, is this going in the right direction for you guys? Is cool. And they were just like, hey, man, whatever you want to do sounds fantastic. So we had a lot of you know, freedom to just do whatever we wanted. And it's, I mean, to this day, one of a, a fan favorite for sure, you know, which we'll be playing on, on, you know, this year as well. I would be shocked if you didn't. Yeah. Now
0: the one question I want to ask about it is: on the forcible entry CD across the nation is censored. It's move yeah. to the music, play that uckin' music. Yeah, is there an uncensored version that you have in the vault that? Because that needs to get released. We, I, I'm 46 years old. I can hear the f word. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all uh, yeah very familiar with potty mouth, right? Well, I have it. Yeah, but you know, I do not own that master right myself so i would not be able to put it out now i've heard well it's never been released through sony or through the wwf or e with the putty mouth version right yeah yep. i have it you know maybe i'll just leak it <laughs> <laughs> but uh i don't think it's ever technically been even online, I mean, I anytime I hear a clip of that song in someone's TikTok or just any kind of silliness, it's always the censored version. I don't think anyone has access to it. Ah, well. I have it. I have it in the vault. Yeah.
0: I'm sensing an anniversary release. Maybe uh even though <laughs> portraits folded, maybe this could happen yeah. somehow through another subsidy of
2: Columbia. Yeah. Who knows? You never know.
0: Such a monster album. And then obviously we talked about across the nation becoming synonymous in both Union Underground's world as well as to WWE fans. After Portrait Records folded in 2002, the band sadly disbanded. Can you talk about that period for the group and how that likely insanely difficult decision
2: was made? Uh, You know, Portrait disbanding was you know, a subsequent thing to our, our decision to not continue making that second record. Right. I had personally gotten to a point where I didn't feel like continuing on with that particular group of people. And not only just the band, just the group of people that I had chosen to my surround myself with. And it just didn't, uh, it wasn't working out like I thought. You know what I mean? I I always had the intentions of revisiting it, but with a different camp. And it just took a bit longer than I thought. (laughs) Right. But I've been doing a lot of other things. I mean, Cult of Follow is a band that I've been focusing on for years. So, I hadn't even planned on revisiting the Union Underground thing until the last few years. And I'm much happier now, even... I mean, I had really gotten to a point where I thought, you know what, I'm never even gonna just bring it up again. I'm just that's a part of my history. I'm not gonna write any more Union Underground songs. I'm not even gonna like entertain the idea of doing demos. You know, I'm just kind of done. But as you as you move along, I was writing things for Cold to follow, and I thought, man, this would make a fantastic Union Underground song. And so there there were there were so many moments where. I just, man, I was kind of putting demos aside under a union folder, thinking, man, these would be great union songs. And I just knew that there's just still too many people that would love to see it continue, you know, and I will deliver that.
0: Well, you were talking about Cult to Follow. There's a few songs I I'd, I'd feel like I'd be doing a disservice to this interview if we didn't talk about because Leave It All Behind is a friggin' monster of a track. Lies is a hefty, emotional song. And then you've got Murder Medley, which is a, just an absolute assault. Was Cult to Follow the vibe you were looking for Union Underground to kind of move towards at the time of the band's disbandment?
2: You know, uh, that's a great question. I had never even considered that, I, probably, because uh, none of those things are really mapped out. You just kind of, you're just writing, you know, just. But yeah, I mean, some of the things that we were writing just sounded so, you know, for the second record, uh, the Union record, just sounded so not like Union that I just became disenchanted with it, right? And sometimes when people start working on their second record, there's too many chiefs, you know, where before when you're working on your first record, there's kind of a singular vision or, you know, there's only a couple of people really writing together and it's, there's not a lot of distractions. But those things change. And I thought uh, everyone just got too distracted and and the song and the music just no longer sounded like you're the underground. So I, I see that for sure in some of those songs, you know. There's a song called uh, 10 Seconds from Panic that's a cult to follow song that I always thought, like, that's definitely me writing a Union Underground song without knowing it. And that phase, when I was writing first the first batch of cult stuff, is where I realized that I kind of started putting things aside. Like, this has got to be a Union thing. This will be a Union thing. And I sat on some of them for years until recently, you know. And started pulling them out of the out of the files, you know. It's hard to kind of keep those things separated. I mean, Cult of Fall is, you know, overall quite a different vibe, but there are those moments where you're like, dude, that could be a union song, you know, and some of that cult stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Now
0: in twenty sixteen you formed a side project into the fire with Soils, Tim King, and Adam Zadel, along with Will Hunt of Evanescence. And there are yeah. two songs I'd like to talk about spit you out and from the medicine i'd love to hear how this project came together and then since you're going to be on the road with soil for the back to the 2000s tour this spring is there any chance that these songs could pop up in some kind of guest appearance encore type situation here
2: that has been a question with uh, I think we've gotten it from all sides you know tim has mentioned it a few times too like man i keep getting questions about whether or not we're going to do Into the fire songs. We might, uh, you never know. It might happen. I would imagine that, you know, at the end of the Union Underground set one night, we might have the guys on and do something fun for sure. Awesome. I mean, it's probably inevitable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, you look at the lineup and you go, well, I mean, you guys are all there. Couldn't hurt, right? We're all
2: there and there's got to be a drummer in the room. I would imagine, (laughs) you know, someone's going to be there. I'll yeah. bring all four
0: drummers up, all four bands at the same yeah. time. Make it-
2: <laughs> yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah. We actually talked about that and uh, yeah, it'll probably happen. That's a fantastic EP. I mean, we call it an EP. It's just two songs but We uh, and we plan on doing some more of those actually. It's just, you know, I mean, everyone's so busy with their original projects and, you know, we call it a side project, but it's just whenever we feel that we will have time to release it and kind of promote it properly then we're sitting on an acoustic song that is fantastic. And we've been sitting on it for a few years now. And that will definitely see the light of day because it has to. So, you know, it's just all about timing. You know, there's there's a lot of moving parts, you know, with everyone's projects.
0: Of course, of course. And one other project I'd like to bring up before going back to Union. I'm a cover song fanatic. And in 2022, you released a solo cover of the Eagles take it easy. And I thought you brought an extremely unique approach to a song that everybody, and I I don't want to say everybody, but I would say 99% of the human race is familiar with. And that is Mm -hmm. something that is not an easy feat. Can you walk us through your arrangement of the track and what you were trying to bring to it. And now I'm just thinking back to that question. I actually called it a easy feat that that was a terrible pun and not planned in any way, shape or form. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, thanks for bringing that up because uh, yeah, I did not expect that I'm sitting on a, uh, before I answer your question, I'm sitting on a, uh, an official music video that will be released right after the, uh, back to the two thousands run. Nice. So I'm just, I'm kind of sitting on the video just because, you know, I want to have time to promote it properly and, and kind of get this run out of the way and focus on that. And, uh, had a ton of fun doing it. Now the, the streaming, like you said, has been available for a while, but the video will come out this summer and then, um, it'll finally be available. And, uh, so as a kid, I would go on Road trips, camping trips with my mom and dad. And the eagles were just playing in the car nonstop on all these trips. You know, it was a huge part of just, and this is before, you know, I, I had started playing any instruments. So the eagles were just kind of burned into my brain, you know, and I just, I loved it. And that was the song, which is funny because the original version is like a, blue, almost a bluegrass track, which is, you know, not typically something I would gravitate to, right? But I just, I love their entire catalog. And I, I thought, you know, it'd be fun to slow this song down. And I, I'm i a huge Tom Petty fan as well. Yes. Yeah, man.
0: Tom Petty's my favorite artist of all time. And somehow we
2: just became best friends. <laughs> yes, yeah, right on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, Tom Petty is just, it's unbelievable, you know, how, how big a fan I am. So it was one of those... I wanted to kind of take that fast-paced kind of bluegrass vibe, slow it way down like to a Tom Petty kind of road trip tempo Is was my whole intention there. And, that, and that's really how I approached it. Like if Tom Petty covered this song, what would be the tempo and feel? And so that's kind of how I got to that point with that song.
0: Amazing, And
2: um, I had a, a, it's such a blast doing it. And there's a lot of family memories and, and childhood memories attached to it, which was the reason for me choosing it. And I knew that, and probably not a, pe- a lot of people have heard of it because I really haven't promoted it. I mean, it's available on streaming, but I haven't really talked about it much. So when the video comes out, I know it's a little strange for people, right? Even though these days, I mean, you can do a million different things. I mean, there's so much content, but it is a little strange for people to hear that. You know, it's like, wait, is this guy going to do like a country rock record next or what's happening? You know, so it can be a little odd for people, I would imagine. But, you know, whatever. I mean, I I just have a, I had a fantastic time recording it.
0: I think it came out fantastic. And now I have to ask, is this part of a larger project that you're planning to do down the road at some point?
2: Yeah, I will. Like, so the Brian Scott stuff, you know, I will reserve for things like, you know, cover songs like that one. I even have some instrumentals that I would like to release under the Brian Scott name and use that more for like, because if I just sit down and just wrote a song naturally, it's going to sound like a Colts Fall song. So I, I mean, you know, I would just release or Union, right? So I would just release my kind of natural things under those two brands. But the things that are kind of out of my norm, like the Take It Easy song. I will reserve for my solo releases because there would be no reason to release a cult follow sounding song under Brian Scott. Right. You know what I mean? So I'll reserve. And like I said, I have a few instrumentals that I would really like to see be released for sure. At heart, I'm a guitar player. So I have a lot of pieces that I've recorded over the years that I would like to release that have no vocals. Be
0: very interested to hear that. Now, while we're talking about new music over the last few years there's been rumblings of new songs from the union underground and one track has also debuted live so with that is there a chance that there's new studio tracks from union underground coming our way
2: yep now even you know even though back to the 2000s has that theme to it right right we're still gonna play a couple of songs that will be on the new record faith collapsing is a song that we're playing live now that will probably be on the record. That's the one that there was a clip online for a bit. Um, False Caterpillars will 100% be a single from the new record, but no one's heard that. I mean, no one's heard it outside of the camp. Right. I'm not going to play that live yet because just kind of the obvious reasons. I mean, there'll probably be too much time between You know, because, I mean, everyone just records everything and shows, right? So I I don't want a new unreleased song floating around too long before it's released, you know, just for the obvious reasons. So we won't be playing that song, but we will be playing a song called Faith Collapsing, which is also a track that will probably be on the new record.
0: Well, we've been talking about it a lot tonight. Union Underground is back on the road this March for the Back to the 2000s tour with Soil, Raw, and Flaw. Can you talk about how this specific lineup came together? We've talked about what fans are going to be able to expect at these shows, but the first leg is in the month of March. Is there any additional legs that are going to be coming down the road throughout 2024?
2: We are putting together a second leg. I can't say much about it yet because okay. it's it's all in the works. So um, what month and, and what kind of part of the year is still up in the air a bit. There's also... Speaking of Soil and Union, there are hints of uh, a little UK-ness this year. So can't say much about that yet. But that is uh, in the works as well. So, and that's all in 2024. So, I mean, we'll have to do a second run of this. Now, whether or not all the bands will be involved, I'm not sure yet. Depends on everyone's schedules. I would hope so because everyone's very excited about this lineup. I mean, uh, the response with having Raw and the Flaw guys on, Has been huge. Raw, to be honest, I was not that familiar with them before we started putting this together, and I kind of went back and revisited some of their stuff, and they're they're fantastic. And their new stuff is really good as well. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be cool to see those guys, you know, be able to perform their newer stuff. I'm really looking forward to it, and hopefully, some of these guys will be available for leg two as well.
0: And then the big question. Is there a guesstimated date for the follow-up to an education in rebellion?
2: Oh God, I, I could never commit to that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hinting at it for a long time. You know, right. uh, no. I mean, not an official date, and also too because I'm not sure how how I want to go about releasing it. I mean, things have changed so much, you know, in the last few years about. Just how people consume music and you know i'm not completely convinced that i want to put out a full album or if i just want to concentrate on single releases and then eventually have a compilation thing or have an ep at first i'm not really sure that's all up in the air i mean that doesn't affect the writing process obviously but it does affect the length of time prior to a release so we'll see it's been in the works so but it's finally coming to fruition all of the intentions the last few years. And I I am guilty of promising dates before they're realistic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, Brian, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to catching the tour when you guys swing through New Jersey in March. So we'll be sure to catch up there. Thank you so much for joining me on my weekly mixtape.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: To those listening, all the songs we've discussed today, I'm embedding in a playlist over at myweeklymixtape.com. While you're there, be sure to check out the full catalog of my weekly mixtape episodes. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, you can help me out by either telling a friend, leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in, or becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. and Until next time, enjoy the tunes.